Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Khalees Hawkins is a stand-up comedian writer based out of Jersey City, where she raises her daughter, Asha. You may have seen her stand-up on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, Russell Simmons Presents Live at the El Rey, stand-up in Stilettos, and Nick Mom's Night Out. She was a cast member of Oxygen's Funny Girls and has written for multiple shows on both Comedy Central and the Disney Channel. For her 40th birthday in 2020, she recorded and released her first comedy album, Khalees Hawkins is 40 AF. Hawkins spoke with me over Zoom about helping other comedians in show business, learning how to help herself, single motherhood, how Hollywood writer's room experiences left her feeling insecure, and what she learned in the making and writing of Comedy Knockout on True TV. So let's get to it! So, Khalees Hawkins... Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. It's good to see you on the Zoom. Uh, last, last things first, uh, congratulations once more on your 40th birthday present to yourself. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah. it exactly, is exactly what it was. It was me telling myself to get out of my own scary skin and do something for myself. Also, a way to avoid turning 40 by being so busy about stressing about something else my career <laughs> that's very nice I wish I had done that I feel I feel so jealous when my 40th came around I had all these ambitious plans for what my 40th birthday would, would be like and then I didn't follow through on anything really yeah like what what did you want to do I wanted to throw this huge comedy show and invite all of my favorite people and just kind of have a celebration of comedy on my birthday and then I just sat by myself in a bar alone and I was like, this is, this is the worst. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to follow through on a thing that, honestly, somebody else should be throwing for you. So it's <laughs> weird. So that's why, that's why I turned it into like, oh, this is a personal responsibility I'll do. Because I knew I was going to have a party. I knew I was going to want, I knew I was going to do it. I knew I'd be sitting at a bar by myself too. You know what I mean? I knew. Part of, part of it for you, though, as I recall back in February when you were talking about recording it, was part of it was also, in a sense, taking back ownership of your career. And not just yeah. waiting for somebody to tell you this is the time to make an album or this is the time to do something like you're taking ownership. Yeah, I really, I really planned on growing up at 40. I was like, this is when you need to start taking control of your career and being an adult and not waiting for other people to tell you it's time. Right. And um, then the pandemic happened. So I, I don't know <laughs> if I would have grown up <laughs> or not now. Mm -hmm. Cause I, this was like a really big step for me. I haven't, I haven't done anything like self-starting since I started comedy. So to me, it's kind of a uh, full circle. Like the way I started comedy was the way I finally approached doing this album. Nobody asked me to start comedy. <laughs> Nobody told me I should. And that's how I got the album. I'm like, okay, I have to believe in myself. And honestly, at the end of the day, that's what I'm learning throughout this whole process is I have to create my own reality and feel the, the way I do about myself. I can't wait for somebody to tell me I'm good because they already have, honestly, but nobody's going, not only are you good, but I'm going to do all the work for you. And I'm going to, I'm going to set this. No, nobody's going to do that much. You really have to believe in yourself to a point of actually uh, manifesting it into reality. You know what I mean? It has to become an action, not <laughs> just a feeling. <laughs> 
Actually, you're reminding me one of my one of my earlier earliest memories of of you in New York comedy was you started your own late late night show at the Comedy Cellar. Yep. That had like a banner with your your like name on it and stuff like that. It Wasn't was that- uh, uh, the Buzz Comedy Cellar hopeful. So the whole plan was to bring to the Comedy Cellar people who they hadn't heard of that I felt like would be their next, like mm-hmm. the next in line, the next generation of people who they would want to scout. And honestly, it got a couple people past at the cellar, but um, yeah, it didn't last too long. <laughs> I had that show for maybe a couple months, maybe three months. I don't even know. But um, it was a fun time. It was a fun time. It was a fun time. And I, and I put a lot of, I put a lot of work into it. It it was something where I was, see, that's the thing. And I'm glad you brought it up because I just realized this is what, this is why I finally did an album for myself. I have spent this whole career kind of believing in other people. And that's what I was even doing there. It was definitely an opportunity for me to like have a connection with the comedy seller, but it was also me going, look at how great everybody is. You know, it was not me going, look at how great I am. It was, look at these people. Aren't they really funny? And I'm always doing that. I'm always running a show to scout or refer somebody, but I've never really done that for myself. Now, before I dig into your life and career, uh, let's just bring people up to speed on how you're handling the now of 2020. The, the now? The now of bring 2020. Yeah, like I know on the album, or on the album, CD, like how old am I? An album. Um, it is an album. So you've got, you've got a teenage daughter, you've got yeah. four cats, yeah. I keep wanting not to say that because I'm trying to get a new apartment. And I, I'm like, what if somebody, I know it's a stupid thing. They're not going to find me on a podcast and go, this bitch said she had two cats. <laughs> I'm lying to landlords left and right. I'm like, there's like a dog and cat. There's cat. And I say cat, like it's like multiple, like mm-hmm. there's fish. I have fish. I have cat. <laughs> because I'm just, I'm trying not to lie to him, but yeah, I have okay. four cats. So, uh, you know, with the, with the pandemic and, you know, right now everybody's talking about how to go back to school. How, how have you been handling homeschooling with, with Asha? Well, she was in seventh grade during the end of the tail end of the pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the tail end of her school year when the pandemic started, I mean, and she's very self-sufficient. So thank goodness. I didn't actually have to do any teaching. They just started they immediately went to online and the teachers are really good at her school. So they kind of one-on-one talked to her and would coach her through lessons. So that's not been the problem. The problem really at this point is um, her seeing her friends and actually being in a group setting. It's really starting to weigh on these kids that they're not having their actual social lives that their, their livelihood has been ripped away from them, but I will, I'm only enrolling her in online right now because I'm so scared of the pandemic. You know, I don't want anything to happen to her, but I'm also worried about um, her, you know, how she feels about herself by, you know, like she's isolated. They have, these kids have full lives at school. Do you know? Yeah. Like that's their, that's a full life experience. They know so many more people than you. And I'm sitting here. It feels like a relationship. I'm sitting here going, how do I, how do I make you happy? (laughs) (laughs) she's like no it's not you it's me i just need more people i need others i need someone else not just my mom that's gotta be extremely wilder for you as a single mom because for so many years it was like the opposite you were leaving jersey city at night to go into new york to do comedy shows so Mm -hmm. she was seeing so little of you now she sees so much of you 
Oh, she wasn't seeing little of me. I was leaving her before bedtime. Okay. I, I, I spent most of my, I always spend most of my time with her. That she is my social life. So I just found out how little I mean. To, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I would drop her off at like eight o'clock, you know, at the babysitter. And I would mm-hmm. go do shows. And then I would pick her up in the morning. I would come to my friend's house and wake her up in the morning with breakfast, get her ready for school and walk her to school. So I was never not there. Okay. That's, that's the cool thing about it, about being a comedian. Like it actually works. Um, a lot of people want to say how hard it is and it is hard, but everything's hard. Everything's hard, you know? And if you care about something, it's not as hard. It's just the work that goes in. It's the price you pay to be in that situation. I care about her so much. I love her so much. She's changed my whole life. I didn't even used to hug my friends, you know? And now I have a baby I'm holding and I'm learning how to be affectionate. I'm learning how to be warm and it rubs off on my other relationships. And that stage, every stage she goes through, I feel like I'm re-raising myself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like you were just saying a few minutes ago about how doing those shows at the Comedy Cellar allowed you to promote other comedians. That's a, that's a maternal instinct there as well. It's like, I want to show yeah. like here are all my kids and my siblings and I want them to, to grow up and be able to have their own careers. And I just always want everybody to be okay. I just really want everybody to be happy. And I hate that. I, I think I take it on a little too much and I'm trying to get away from that because I realized um, if I don't do that for myself, I don't have much to offer others. So that's kind of where the pandemic has put me. It's put me with myself going, well, I have nobody to help. Nobody wants me to help you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I have to learn who I am if I'm that person to me. I, 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 need, I, I need to see what I turn out to be. <laughs> I'm too busy watching other people grow. My own kid. And yeah, that is like, that is my nature. So it's good for her. And, it, and I got to figure out me now, you know? I know for a long time you were doing a show at the Village Lantern. Mm-hmm. Like what, seven, eight years. Yeah, tell me, tell me about what that show was, how you and Amanda started it. and oh, Wow, so, okay. So what happened is, when I first started comedy, I did like two bringer shows. And the second show, I almost didn't get to go up because I didn't have all my people there. And the first show, I had like 13 people there. And I added it all up and I was like, oh my God, with their drink orders and their ticket price, they spent like $350. You know, this was 16 years ago. $350 was like rent money that, that could have been my rent for that month right so um and that's me saying I, I'm living in the in the living room with my child and renting out my bedroom but I was paying 300 to be in my own living room right right okay so that was a lot of money to me and it was mind-blowing so I decided never to do another bringer show nothing against them it's just it wasn't for me it didn't add up so um I ended up going around the corner of the village lantern and I started doing a thing called barking where you stand outside and you ask people to come into a show. And that's how you get your five minutes of stage time. And I was barking for Clayton Fletcher and Rick Younger. But at that point in their career, right after I started working for them, they started getting shows on the road. And then they had to have somebody watch the show for them. So they would be gone for like weeks and I would be watching their show and I would be booking it. I would, no, they were booking it. And then sometimes they would let me book a couple spots. So gradually... It became my show accidentally, but then there was a comic, I'm not going to name him, uh, who, no. while they were gone, <laughs> what did you just name him? Did you just say his name? No. <laughs> oh, I thought you just said his name. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not, I'm not saying anything horrible, but mm. while they were gone, he kind of like talked to the 
owner and got their shows and the owner refused not to let me stay on like one of the nights. So he ended up taking the nights and I ended up taking um, what was left, but it was okay. mostly weekdays, like Tuesday through Friday. And he, mm-hmm. he got Friday night and Saturdays and he got Sundays and he, he did his own thing. He was making good money too. But, um, but yeah, that it just gradually happened. You know, I've noticed that, that that's like the biggest lesson in life. You just got to put one foot in front of the other and actually it, things will start to show up as soon as you actually set out to do a thing. That's what we were saying earlier. You can't just think about it. You have to do action and something always comes as a result. Always. It's crazy. Uh, I was looking at your, your lengthy resume and uh, noticed you took uh, a number of writing classes through the UCV and I wondered what your experience with the UCV was. RIP. Oh, you mean like, you mean like in terms of what has come to light? Well, you mean like that? well, even if that stuff hadn't come to light, like what was your experience working, studying with them? Well, well, see, I, I, I went on several different times over my, the course of my career. Mm-hmm. I, what I, I rely on classes to feel active. It's the way I trick myself, but I am also benefiting from it. So if I'm not working, I'm in class because I'm keeping the muscle going, right? So earlier on in my career, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a very shy person. I know we get on stage, but that's a different experience. If you've ever heard it explained, like it's not the same as interacting with people. It's just not. And everybody thinks it's scary. It's just, it's so much easier because you have more control over it, you know? Um, so in, I, I tried improv and it was just a very uncomfortable experience, just period, because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know how to let go and be goofy like that. I'm so used to relying on a punchline or sentiment or my, or my sense of humor versus being a ridiculous character in the moment. I'm never, even if I'm up there being nervous, I'm not up there going, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm so silly. I'm like, I'm not a silly person. You know what I mean? I think I'm pretty serious. I'm just, I don't know. Improv was so, so for me, my experience is just how uncomfortable it was. Comics have kind of a prejudice towards improv because it's kind of magical and they, and they, <laughs> and they, don't they didn't, they didn't practice. Right. right. <laughs> and when it's good, it's really great. Yeah. When it's bad, it's, Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> um, and then I, I took some sketch classes recently and I took an improv class recently. And so my recent experience was that they had done a lot to diversify, reach out or it was half I think there were like three black girls, which is like unheard of. I had never seen that before in UCB over the years. So I was pleasantly surprised that there was a diverse amount of people. So I thought they got more diverse. I was very, very shocked when I heard about all of the stuff that people were going through. Um, And don't get me wrong. I, I had heard, you know, you hear whispers, you hear like, oh, but that's just so regular for black people. We're so used to being discriminated against that. Even if you hear whispers, you never think, what, what's happened over the pandemic when people are really outing people and writing all these blogs, I never thought that was ever going to happen. I thought this was just our life. I thought this is just what it is to be black. People don't want you there. <laughs> I thought that was it. Right. I mean, on your, on your album, you do mention one writing job out in LA that made you feel uncomfortable because of your base, but, but you just kind of, yeah. but you just kind of joke about it. It's, it's, yeah. Like, like you just, just said, it's like, you didn't feel like there was anything to be done about it. That's just how yeah. Hollywood is. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I left that job with 
two, two years of probably PTSD. <laughs> Everybody's claimed PTSD. And I was like, maybe that's what that was. Cause I, I came home stuttering, you know, like I realized I was like, why am I stuttering? Right. And I realized that it was because I was trying to write and edit my thoughts and my words as I was speaking them, because I was so afraid to mm. misspeak or to say something wrong. I, I got so insecure about my own voice and the, the sound of my own voice. Even I, I, I like, I like, you know, it, it was horrible. <laughs> like right now, look, look, I said horrible. That would have been something that I would have never let myself do. I was so, so stressed out after that job. Oh Lord. And then, so I'm going through this silently in an isolated place. And I'm thinking, wow, that's me. I'm a failure. That's me. That's on me. If I were better, I'd still be at this job, right? Then this happens right now. And I'm like crying for the first time, watching people put all this stuff out about their experiences in these offices, in this majority white male offices and how they felt other and they felt stressed and they were treated these all these ways. And I was like, wow, this, this sounds similar. And I'm not here to like, I'm not here to get, to get a reckoning for that, those people that job. I don't, I don't look at it like that. I'm just so relieved that it's not fucking me. I'm not crazy. And uh, I'm not, I don't feel as isolated now. The world is opening up about what we're going through. And um, it's, it's not as lonely anymore. It still sucks. It's sad that we even have to experience these feelings, the hostility and aggression from people who don't think you're, you belong in their space and they don't want to make time for you to make you like, feel comfortable in their space. They're very territorial. Uh, it sucks that that happens. And I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm just relieved that I don't have to feel like a piece of shit about it anymore, you know? I and took it, it very personally. And it wasn't just in your head. You weren't imagining it. It was right. really happening to you. Yes. And you weren't because alone. It sound, it, it's so clear now. Because gaslighting, I didn't know about gaslighting. I didn't know about microaggressions. I didn't know about any of the things, all the buzzwords. It's just like the Me Too movement. I was like, oh, dang, all that happened to me. I didn't realize I was so stressed out about it until, until everybody started crying. And I was like, damn, I should be crying too. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. It's kind of like when somebody apologizes to you and you get more mad because now you're finally hearing, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what we're going through. We're like, yeah, you should be sorry. Why did you do that? But thank God you're finally sorry. You know, now I can finally go through the stages of grief. Let's start with you saying sorry. Now I'm angry. You know, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> out of out of all of your writing jobs what was the one that that kind of made you grow the most or that you got the most out of hmm that's a good question um let me try to think probably i would honestly say the 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 biggest um foundation for me was probably comedy knockout because we were you know writing jokes left and right, writing, writing setups, writing games. Like I was there from the ground up and I saw how a show is built and I saw what works and what doesn't. I saw what works. Like I like just really got to be a student of what I, what I was actually working for. And I got to learn a lot on that job. So that was on true TV comedy knockout with, uh, with Damien Lemon. Lemon. Yeah. Yeah. I learned, I learned a lot on that job. 
because also we had a, a full room of uh, comedian writers. And so I, I was also looking at how everybody wrote their jokes, like looking at their recipes. I learned like, like, like I was watching how Suba writes jokes and, and she's so clever with like turning a pun into a pointed punchline. She's very clever. If you look at her Twitter, you'll see it. She's very good at that. And, um, <laughs> and I just, I, you know, I, my style is so, so it's not formulaic at all. So I was looking at other people's recipes because my style is more like, uh, it's, it's personality driven. I think I, it's like, it's like if I'm saying something in that moment to you a certain way, then you got to get what you got to get it. You know, you get it. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's no, you're not going to get it. If, if you don't get it, there's no, I'm not going to take you anywhere. You got to, you got to, you got to feel it when I'm, how I'm telling you it. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, I bomb because I might not be telling a joke from the right mood. <laughs> and I'm sure that's a lot of people, but I, but I really admire those comics that can write a really good joke and the joke works. And that's the joke. You can't fuck it up. Mm-hmm. I like those comics. And it was, and so I learned, I learned that strategy on that job. Cause you gotta be able to write quick. So you need some recipes, you need formulas when you're writing for a show because you can't wait for inspiration. You can't wait until somebody gets you. <laughs> no, it's a fight. It's a knockout. You gotta, yeah. gotta put up them dukes. <laughs> so, um, uh, when, you know, Facebook memories can be quite a, uh, weird trigger uh you know they bring up stuff from the past so if if facebook memories pops up oxygen's funny girls what is that oh my that? god oh. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> you asshole <laughs> you know what's funny is i don't have to wait for facebook memories because every every few months yamanika will tag me in like a funny girls post because mm-hmm. she had a whole different experience on funny girls than i did i was there with my daughter trying to hide her from these producers and not, n- nothing against them they're just trying to get their job done but i'm trying to get my kid to school and they're like can she be out of school today i was like no absolutely not can can she can she be in the next room while you're having phone sex with your boyfriend? Absolutely not. Well, she's not even going to hear it. But the people who are watching it are going to think that that's what I do around my child. Absolutely not. So they kept writing me out of the show, and that was it. That was that. I mean, I had fun with the girls. I liked the comics. You know, I, I enjoyed meeting uh, a couple of those girls, and I enjoyed reuniting with the people who I did know. And of course, I love the experience, Yamanika. But I'm telling you, it was kind of like improv all over again. I didn't know how to be on that camera. I just was, I I just felt such embarrassment all the time. I was like, what am I doing here? (laughs) But, but great, great baby step away from the fact that I was working in Jersey city at surf city. Dude, I have so much, I love talking to you because, um, because I know you're a compassionate person. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you more of my weaknesses than I you know, talk to just any old person about an interview about my album, but Mm -hmm. I am probably one of the most insecure, uh, shame based person you've ever met. I'm working on that. That is exactly what I'm working on now. The pandemic is showing me that I need to be, I need to have my own back. The album was a step towards having my own back. And then I had to sit in this moment. Right. But I was working at surf city and I was like 36 and there were 21 year old girls who had more confidence than me. They, they were like giving me pep talks. Like I couldn't even like, 
we we had to walk across sand because that's the theme of the surf city place there's mm-hmm. sand and people are in like chairs and pretending like they're at a beach right even this just the huts and nasty ass water but they, you know it's a nice environment it's a it's a cute place right but this birthday party came in and they were like she brought her own cake so carry the cake it was nighttime i don't have very good night vision and i'm supposed to walk across sand that kids have been digging in it's uneven and i was so terrified i was going to drop her cake i almost quit I was like, the chef is like, you're not going to take the cake. I said, no, I'm not going to take the cake. You're going to find somebody else to take the cake. I'm scared that I'm going to drop it. I'm terrified. I'm going to drop this poor woman's cake. And it's like the only cake she has. I'm not doing it. I could never be a doctor. Don't ask me to be the president. I can't help you. I can't help you guys. I'm scared. I'm going to drop your cake. (laughs) I can't make, I can't change the laws and, and know what's right and what's, I'm glad there's a bunch of other people who have to focus on that. And I'm glad we're finally, you know, making them be good people. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how, I don't know how they put themselves in that position where the decisions they make affect so many people's lives. But you're, you grew up with a, I mean, you grew up with a, with a, from a single mom who is a cop. So that's cop shit is different though. That's like, She's got rules. I know, I know. Right now, learning a lot. Cops are, <laughs> cops are cops. I get it. Right now, cops are the worst people in the world. But my mom, I didn't know about that like that then. When my mom was a cop, I mostly thought of her as like a dare officer. Mm-hmm. And it's not like she was out on the streets all the time. She was, you know what I mean. But um, yeah, I don't know. You said she, she was in internal it. affairs, so she actually probably knew a lot, a lot better about like which cops were. Obeying oh, yeah. the law, which one? Well, they won? all do. They all know. All cops know who's the good cop and who's not the yeah. good cop. They all know. But yeah, she was a cop of the cops. I, she's not me. I can't make people decisions for people's lives. I can't even do it for my kid. I, I work with her every day. I go. So what are we thinking? We're gonna go somewhere with this art, or you want to do something else? Like, you don't want to do basketball anymore? Fine. What else? What do we replace it with? I don't. I just want to guide her to do something she loves, but I don't really want to be too heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Some parents really try to make you, they go, you know what I see in you? And then that's all they can see is something that they kind of are projecting onto you. I try not to do that to her. Although it's got to be different for her growing up with you doing comedy and then all of your friends or most of your friends probably being comedians. So she's, yeah, she's, she's growing up in that comedians. <laughs> Dude, in she that plays world. Fortnite. She plays Fortnite with Yamanika, Marina, Mateo. Sometimes Jordan. <laughs> has, has I don't she, even know how to play it. Has she uh, exhibited any interest in performing herself? No. But see, at that age, I, I don't think I would have either. No, she doesn't, want, she doesn't want to be on stage. She's more, her performance is more of like the animation she's trying to get into. I got her a, a Huey on tablet. I try to invest in the things that she's interested in. And so she's in there drawing right now. She draws fans. She has her own little finsta because I don't want anybody to know she's on Instagram yet. And so she does fan art. <laughs> does she do TikTok? And, um, nah, she's not that kind of girl. TikTok is for like. <laughs> it's not for me. It's not for me. TikTok is not for me. I'm not that kind of girl. <laughs> I mean, if, if I were 15, then yeah, it totally would be for me. But. <laughs> I'm not 15. I'm not even 40. Yeah. <laughs> 40 year olds are doing it though. I mean, you know, like 50 yeah. year olds are doing it. I've seen it. 
they people have fun with it. Yeah. How, how does, so how does, obviously this year has not gone according to anyone's plan, but how does 40 just generally measure up to what you thought it would be when you were a kid? That's the thing. I feel like I keep having these moments and I, and I did it again. I think this is the last time I'm going to do that to myself where I think it's going to be this pivotal change, right? So the first time you think there's going to be a big change is when you turn 21. You go, when I'm 21, that's like the age I can go to a bar. I'm going to be, I'm, and I'm, I'm an adult. I'm a legal adult. Nothing feels different. So then you go, 25. 25 is a big thing for artists. You go, I should be famous by the time I'm 25. Because that, that, those are the motherfuckers having the most fun. The mid-20s, right? Seems <laughs> you like it, think, yeah. You don't think, oh, I'm not going to get noticed until I'm, um, what's his name, Samuel Jackson's age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to be Sam Jackson's age. But now you go, oh, okay, at least, at least there's Sam Jackson to look forward to. You start to change your narrative because you keep creeping up. So 25 passed, and you go, 30 is going to be weird, right? And then 30 passed, you go, huh, maybe 31? No. 35? Now I'm like, okay, 40, I'm going to be an adult. I'm going to be, and now I'm, now I'm 40. Look at me. Look at me. Do I, do, I, do I come for you? No. There's nothing like mature coming off of me. <laughs> I'm so lost. And you know what, though? No, I had to get to a point. I'm, I'm going to cut you off right there, Sean. <laughs> don't, you, don't you try to support me. I, I really got an important thing to say. Here it is. I got to a point. I looked at my boyfriend. I found it through him. He loves me so much. And I go, I look at one day after I'm 40, I go, do you love me because you think I'm like going through a thing and I'm going to pull through it and I'm going to be awesome one day? Or do you just love me as who I am? He goes, yeah, you're just going through. I was like, no, I just figured it out. I'm not going through anything. This is me. The, the, the thing that you think I'm going through is actually just my personality. It's just my fucking, the way I deal with life is where I'm at and it's where I've always been. And the reason I think this is important to say, even just, just for me to say to you, Sean, is I want people to know there are 40-year-old women who are, are, you know, I'm holding it together. I'm doing all right, but I am lost. I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm scared, I'm nervous, and I'm tired of everybody telling me there's something wrong with me. It's, it feels so much freer to say, I'm these things, and if it comes, and if I get through that day, and I get to that moment, that's just who I am. There is no fixing it. I'm not going to try to fix it anymore. I'm just going to let myself be fucking flawed. I'm flawed. I'm damaged. It's not even my fucking fault. I mean, look at the world. Look at what they're doing to each other. So I'm not going to feel bad about it anymore. I, I, I don't, I want to be at peace as much as I can find peace. But when I have those moments of insecurity, I'm going to stop feeling shame about it. I feel so ashamed of myself because I look at people, everybody looks so brave. Everybody looks like they're handling things better. But now that we're in this, I go, nobody's handling it. They're all lying. They're all faking it. And so I'm not going to fake it anymore. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm having just as much fun as the people who are pretending to be happy. <laughs> yeah we're all just trying to figure it out but um yeah Cleese Hawkins I'm like so sad (laughs) (laughs) I'm not about to tell you about the black shit that I go through (laughs) listen to my album if you want to have a dialogue (laughs) I have listened to your album and so should everybody (laughs) oh I love you man 
Thank you so much for doing this. You're Clarice. always so fun to talk to. I love, I always love running into you on the scene. I always love seeing you after, after a show, hanging out in important little comedy hubs. You know, you're a real person. You got, you got like this spark in your eye that I've always, I just love a person like you. Oh, thank you so much, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got to end it there before you say something to ruin. <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.